Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Hi there, folks. Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable. This is show 211. We've got a great panel um, this week. I say that almost every week, but it is a great panel. And I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves first. And let's start with um, Jackie. You'd like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Jackie D'Elia in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a web developer and I am the host of Rethink.fm. A great podcast. You want to go and listen to it, folks. Kim, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Kim Schivler. I'm in Melbourne, Florida. I'm a web instructor and business technology speaker. And you can find me at whitegloveWebtraining.com. And Kim, would you like to, uh, not sorry, um, Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? I think that's the first time I've ever been mistaken for Kim. Uh, I'm Sally Getch. I do uh, mostly uh, Genesis custom themes uh, for clients at WPFangirl.com and uh, also various kinds of tinkering with the events calendar and other additional functionality. And I uh, run the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. And if you're in that area, folks, you want to go to it because it's always yeah, we're ha- this weekend. We're talking about uh, forum plugins. Oh, well, that should be great. Um, and my co-host, John Locke, like to introduce yourself, John. Sure thing. My name is John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design, and I provide SEO and custom WordPress theme development for mid-sized businesses. Right there, that's great. Well, folks, our main topic is um, going to be how you select plugins um, for a project, how you identify a quality plugin, where you can find them, everything to do about plugins. But we we start with um, some news stories, WordPress or um, internet stories that have um, taken the interest of either me or the panel. And we've got some interesting stories um, here, I think. And we're going to start off with the iThemes is going to a new home, exchangewp.com. So I'll just throw it out there. Would anybody like to start about what they thought about this article, which was also on the tavern? Uh, Yeah, I was a little... um, This was completely unexpected. Uh, but uh, also very interesting, given that, uh, you know, we know that uh, Automatic acquired uh, WooCommerce. I mean, they acquired Woo, but, you know, mainly because of WooCommerce uh, uh, a while back, what, about a year ago, a year and a half ago? Um, Longer than that, I think, actually. And, uh, you know, Exchange was a, you know, is an e-commerce plugin that was designed to be simple to use. And it is that. I mean, I tried it out when it first came out, and it was really easy to set up. Um, and the initial version, you know, was, was lacking in some features, and they, they added on to that. Uh, but as a, uh, you know, as an e-commerce plugin, if you wanted to set up, you know, membership or, or physical goods or digital goods or invoices or, you know, quite a few things, it led you through the setup really nicely. Uh, and there were a variety of extensions for it, uh, but you know it never kind of got the push that uh, that WooCommerce did, uh, and so you know it it never got a lot of market share. But it continued to be a good uh, product. I mean, I think back when uh, Chris Lemma was first writing about membership plugins, you know, Exchange and its membership add-on were one of the things that he recommended as as being you know easy to set up and. Uh, you know, friendly for the people who were actually using it, as opposed to being one of those plugins that was written, you know, by developers for developers. Um, so I'm glad that they're not just abandoning it, that, you know, it's going to go somewhere and, and get somebody's more focused attention, because I think it, you know, it is a good, uh, it is a good option for some people. You know, WooCommerce is, is an amazing plugin, uh, 
and very powerful and it has a huge ecosystem, but it's also just hella complicated. So, well, yeah, because it's really powerful, isn't it? Um, yeah. Anybody else? Going yeah, to I'm going to jump in here with iThemes Exchange. I actually just installed this uh, on a client site like a few months ago oh, great. because it was like the perfect solution for the job. And one of the things, there's like a pro version and there's a free version. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed in the free version is, is I was shocked at uh, the number of active installs there were because I thought it would be much higher. It's actually a really great product and I'm glad that um, at least it's going to a good home. We know AJ Morris, and we, uh, you know, we know. We that love you, AJ. Come back, sponsor the show some more. He's going to do a good job with it, but yeah, yeah. I, it's a good product. More people should check it out. So, yeah, but I've been, I've been, if you're listening, AJ, well, I'm only been flippant. You don't have to come and sponsor the show. You're still a great guy. Um, like AJ, he's a really nice guy. Really super intelligent. Um, always been a great partner, hasn't he, John? Oh, he's gone silent. I'm not, no, I'm on mute. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, anybody else want to say anything about this? No, I've got to, I'll just say something quick about it then. Yeah, I, I agree with both what Sally and um, John have had to say about it. It's great news because it's actually a really great product. Um, I, I was a little bit worried Um that um because obviously i themes um i've been pushing um through with a lot of changes when it comes to the security plugin which we use at wp tonic um sync we use at wp tonic um and they um we use um a combination of a couple backup plugins and a service and one of the plug backup plugins is backup buddy um so we use um I actively use a lot of their product and I know they're moving ahead with other improvements and that and the um, shopping cart um, products seem to be um, not being developed that much. So I think it's a great move um, for it and um, AJ Morris and um, what team he assembles, I think will make a fantastic job of it. So that's just my little bit folks. So um I think we go on to the next story, which was 10UP acquires Lyft UX. Um, who wants to start off with that? Go on, John. I will. Go on. Okay. He's, he's, uh, I've unmuted him. Go on, Kim, you go. Go on, whatever. Was it Kim? Or no, was it was it? Sally. Oh, I mean, Sally. I, 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 Jackie, excuse me. Yeah, go on, Jackie. Jackie. <laughs> we don't know each other's names today. No. no. Okay. no, no, no we, haven't, we haven't been on this show everywhere. I'll go ahead. Go, ahead. Jackie. Uh, well, I, I think, you know, it's definitely a win for 10UP because not only are they getting some talent in an area that um, they probably don't have as much experience in, but they're also getting existing clients and a client base and contacts and lots of other things that come along with acquiring another entity. So I think it probably makes sense for them. And it sounds like from the Lyft side, it, it makes sense to be part of a larger organization. One of the comments that uh, they made in there was that, you know, they'd have more time to focus on the work that they want to do versus just running the day-to-day -day aspects of the business. And I, I can definitely say that's probably a really good driving factor in that. Yeah, I agree with that. What what would you like to say, John? No, I just, um, I, I liken this to when they absorbed uh, Brainstorm Media, uh, when the Paul Clark and crew came over. It, it's, you know, basically it's combining forces, and we've talked about this before. Um, in, in this year especially, it seems like there's a lot of consolidation going on in the WordPress space where the big uh, companies or the stronger companies are getting stronger. And, and this is a case of that. I think it's uh, I think it'll make 10 up um, a big, even bigger player in the digital space. Obviously they're, they've got the engineering um, on lockdown, but they need to, uh, you know, maybe pull in some more design and UX and lift UX, Chris Wallace and crew. They're definitely a top notch, uh, you know, firm. So I think it'll be good for all parties involved. Yeah, I think it, it, it was, you know, Jake, 
He's been on the show, Jake Goldman. He's a great guy, super intelligent, um, straightforward, and it makes great business logic for us. I could read from the article, they seem to strong companies and um, with um, different core strengths, but combining them, both companies get stronger, don't Would you agree with that, panel? Yeah, no question. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it, it. this is where if you're going to hire someone or acquire somebody, you know, it makes sense to absorb with the people who are really good at the things that you're not really good at. Yep, I think you're right there. So we're hammering away through these, uh, which is good. Um, so the next story um, or article that the panel come up with was WordPress, a headless CMS. Would you like to start off with this, Sally? Because it was a story it, that sure. you found. I mean, I, I, uh, Joshua Strubble from um, Pagely shared this on uh, managewp.org. And, uh, you know, it was a nice clear walkthrough of you know a way to use the rest api to uh, display some dynamic content on a static site so you know for for whatever reason you've built the rest of the site uh you know not with a cms and but you because maybe because the content doesn't change much i mean that's the thing is if somebody wants a, a site that's where not much is going to change it is a lot more efficient to build it as a static site and not have to do the maintenance and all the other stuff that, that you need with wordpress but they wanted to be able to you know to, to add some new sections and uh, so it talked about you know how to do it and you know some issues about you know what might be some disadvantages of it and some advantages of it and it it was interesting to me partly because you know the the thing they wanted WordPress for was, you know, not simply the fact that it nicely handles all this organization and, and structuring of content, but that, oh, well, it's easy to like use the WordPress, uh, you know, to use WordPress to create content. And of course, right now there's this huge shift about the editor and is this going to be easier and is it not going to be easier and, and, you know, is that going to change? And so, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, although I think if these people are like just using blog posts, they might be happy you know something like you know using the the calypso app to write those posts that mm -hmm. then go out to the site would probably work just fine uh, but that you know that the, the timing is kind of interesting that just as people are are talking about well here's how you would use like wordpress for the for the back end of, of something in a completely different front end you know wordpress is is talking about substantial changes in in the way its admin is and and as everyone can see they're quite contentious what did you what, think oh good tim what struck me about this one though because he did talk a lot about pros and cons but one that he missed i thought was if all they want is a couple of news feeds okay but if if they really are truly going to start depending on that as a blog what are the seo ramifications of all your URLs actually being on a subdomain that, that is then forwarded back to a static site. That was a question that I would have. I am not an expert, no. but I know that URLs coming to your domain. Yeah, I, I are think important. there. I think there was some mention. Maybe it was a comment I saw somewhere about how you know that that becomes a that becomes an issue if if you need to worry about that. So yeah, it's it. it, it, it Clearly, there's going to be some time that everybody has to spend sort of working out what is and is not a good way to to take advantage of these uh, of, of the possibilities of the REST API. What do, do you, any thoughts about it, Jackie? I agree with Kim and Sally on that. Is that uh, you know there are some instances like in this case where you want some dynamic content, but uh, SEO issues and Longer term, uh, thinking about it, if you have a static site and you want to add one section, but your plans are to add others and more and start morphing it into a CMS, then that might not be the best approach to go with at that point. It might be easier to port that over to a CMS and, and get all the SEO benefits of that. I think a lot of those static sites are that way because they don't change very much. And as Sally said, they're really efficient. They're going to load a lot faster. They're going to be, it's a lot uh, more streamlined and efficient. And that's great, but if you want to start introducing dynamic content and you're concerned about your SEO 
in that. Um, that is a consideration. You really need to plan that out and think ahead about where you see this site ending up in a few years. And now you still, I mean, the other thing with that is now you still have you still have entered in that you're going to have a site you have to maintain more because now we still have we have the downside of wordpress i.e we still have to maintain it and possibly the downside of how the two fit together from the client perspective you know i think i i totally always agree with you sally on the if someone just needs a brochure make it just a, a flat site but once they get you know and what i always used to tell my people is if there's any chance in the next year, you're going to even put little blips. Let's just do it this way and not have to try to rework it or do another site or a workaround later on. What did you think of it, John? I thought this article was really interesting and I, I think we're gonna see a lot more of uh, applications as of WordPress as a headless CMS. And the example in this article, they showed um, just a static site pulling in from a blank theme where you just enter in the posts and maybe you have a couple uh, advanced custom fields there for uh, other meta information uh, to pull into the static site using um, Ajax and uh, REST API endpoints. But I, I think we're going to see like more and more of this and specifically in, uh, you know, apps and web apps that, that use uh, the WordPress um, CMS as just a place to put content and then they pull it in uh, to different places and distribute it in, in different places after having it input in one place. So, yeah, I think that's great. Um, so we'll go on to our final story, which, um, oh, first of all, folks, that story that we just discussed was on draft code and the other two stories you can find on the tavern. I just thought I'd say that. And, um, our fine, well, um, uh, which was on Joe Casabona. Hopefully I'm not destroying his name. Um, his website, making the most of your podcast sponsorship. And like again, Sally found this story. So would you like to start off with this, Sally? Sure. Um, you know, I think this is probably also on managewp.org. I, you know, check that, that yeah. every morning. Um, but, uh, you know, podcast sponsorship, I've been involved with podcasters for a long time and, and, uh, seen various kinds of, of ways that they handle sponsorship or, or advertising. And uh, I thought this was, you know, it was the, the podcasters discussion of, you know, how sponsors can get their money's worth out of sponsoring a, a podcast and, and what it makes sense to do and to, you know, to choose somebody whose, you know, <clears throat> audience is uh, going to be interested in your products to you know to sponsor not just one episode but several because you need the repetition uh, you know that kind of thing to <clears throat> and you know i think these are uh, these are all important uh, considerations because you know some people may sponsor a podcast you know mainly because they like the podcast or they want the podcast to continue it's it's kind of a you know something for the for the community thing but usually if 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 you're you know spending sponsorship or advertising money you do want to see some kind of return uh in regard to uh where people are you know, to, to people purchasing your product or signing up for your service or visiting your website or, or whatever it is that you want them to, uh, to do. Um, and I have, uh, you know, noticed that uh, one thing that's pretty useful uh, for sponsors is to make sure that, you know, if you're giving a link to your site, it's a special link so you can track like who's come from, uh, you know, who's coming to you uh, from, you know, the podcast website, if your thing is up there, but also from, you know, from the audio. And, and it should be something people can, you know, remember by, from the time that they get, you know, back from their car where they were listening to your show to their computer. And that's part of why you need the, the repetition. Um, and, you know, not to the point where you're bombarding and, and annoying people. And, uh, you know, some of the 
best examples I've seen have been where the sponsor decides to record a short spot that's actually kind of a contribution to the show and then wraps up with their, uh, you know, wraps up with their, their link and, and does it on really an, an ongoing basis. You know, that's a lot of work uh, for the sponsor. So not everybody is going to be able to, to do that, but um you know, it's, it is, a, I, I think, advisable. And since, you know, we are a podcast, obviously, you know, whether or not we're seeking sponsorship, it's, you know, important for us to take a look at these kinds of, of things and, and think about that for, you know, for podcasters seeking sponsors, that article is just as useful as for people who are thinking about maybe sponsoring a podcast as a, as a way to uh, do some promotion for themselves. Well, my position is it's just really nice to have a little bit of um, money to cover some of the expenses. Um, I probably could tighten up on the expenses a little bit, um, but it is nice and it gives some credence, Some, I feel gives some credibility um, to the audience that you're being taken seriously. So um, that's also why it's nice to have a sponsor. Um uh, it's really difficult because it's very uh, it's very linked to the discussion that was um, uh, published on the tavern and on, on a couple of other WordPress forum sites about um, some some of the big some of the bigger players saying is it worthwhile sponsoring um, WordCamps um, and what you should respect as a return on investment. And in some ways, I could understand what they were saying. In other ways, and other ways, um, I was going to say I didn't agree, but that would be too strong. I just think there's kind of a short term, and then there's kind of long term branding, um, branding recognition. Um, obviously, if you're in that sector where you're supplying services or products to developers or end users in the WordPress space. It is a, a great branding opportunity to be at WordCamps. I'm not sure um, how much product or service you're going to actually sell at one of those. And um, I think it's the same with sponsoring a show that's targeted at um, a relevant audience, you know, um, like, where else are you going to find a reasonably large audience in one place that's really interested, obviously shown that they're really interested in WordPress. Um, and I'm just not talking about this podcast. I'm talking about all the other leaders in the um, WordPress podcasting space, you know, like the Matt Repool, um, um, the WordPress chick, um, um a to z plugins all very credible um podcasts that have uh, m multiple years of um of uh, episodes well, what do you think jackie i think that uh, in joe's article he made some really good points one of them was um a lot of times, you know, you're going to focus on what you're putting on your website. And I think for a podcast, you just need to realize you're not going to get a lot of traffic to your actual website pages versus the number of downloads you're going to get. And so having something like an offer makes it easy to measure whether or not you're getting any response for that. The other side of that is if you're going to sponsor um, a podcast, let it be something that you're, you know, you're your demographic is using that you want to market to and it's a way to be a good citizen. So it's both aspects versus just doing it solely to get a return on that and, or just doing it because you want to support something and you're getting some name recognition in there as well. So I, I think, you know, some measurable uh, ways to measure whether or not you're getting any response from that, but also realizing that, um, you know, if you're looking to have it pay for itself, on every episode. I'm not sure that you're actually going to get that. And, and, and frankly, as somebody who's got a podcast, um, I'm not as focused on getting sponsors. I'm more focused on, you know, this is a way for me to contribute back to the community, share content, um, have exchanges with folks that can help um, be insightful for other people. And it's not so much for me as, as a way to make money or anything. Maybe, yes, I agree to help cover costs for me, my biggest cost is like transcription costs. It's expensive to have each episode transcribed. And 
So getting a sponsor who can help with that, I think is great. Um, yeah. It's, I, I, it, Joe had some really good points. If you're, if you're running a podcast or you're thinking about being a sponsor, go read that post. Um, I, it's definitely convinced me because Joe and I have had some conversations about this. We're just doing a one-off sponsorship to me is a waste. It's a yeah. waste of time for me to record a spot and all the effort that I have to do in just packaging and putting it together for one episode. I would rather not do it at all. If, yeah. if you're going to do it, sponsor a season, sponsor three to six episodes, something like that where it makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, Jackie. I, I think just one episode sponsorship, you know, um, unless it's a specific episode and really the, the people are just doing it as a sign of support, which is understandable. Um, but I think a slightly more long-term attitude to it is a more mature that's probably sounding too, a little bit pompous. I I apologise. I didn't really want to meet, come across like that, folks. Um, I was going to say mature, and I didn't really, that's the wrong word. Um, but I'm struggling for the right word. Uh, it's not mature, but just a more slightly long-term view about what you're attempting to do with um, your sponsorship. Well, just to finish off, what, what's your thoughts about it, John? Well, I think there's some excellent points in this article, um, and from both perspectives. There's two parties uh, in a sponsorship. There's a show that's being sponsored, and then there's the uh, product or service that's doing the sponsoring. And both parties uh, expect to get something out of it. Uh, the, the podcast um, obviously is getting some sort of compensation. But at the same time, um, I, I think, you know, the... What Jackie said about there needs to be some sort of repetition. You can't just do a one-off uh, sponsorship because people might not listen to that particular episode. If you cover like four to six episodes or maybe, uh, you know, uh, 10 episodes or something like that, you're going to be sure to be getting in front of that audience. And a lot of the point of, of doing a sponsorship is to get that brand recognition and, to where you're top of mind when people need that product, you're the person they're thinking of. Um, you know, but another good point that was in this article was using the UTM uh, parameters in your URLs to make sure that they can track and they know that you are the one driving traffic to them. Your show is driving traffic to them so that they know that they're getting a return on their investment. Uh, one last thing that I want to point out is uh, I just want to acknowledge Matt Medeiros on the Matt Report, what he did on, I believe it was season five of his show. He took sponsorships from um, Liquid Web and Beaver Builder and uh, Pagely. But what he did is he split his season into two chunks, like A and B. And what he did is he, he got, um, uh, say for the, the chunk that was being sponsored by beaver builder he got people on the show that were all using beaver builder in some way they were involved in it in some way uh improving their clients lives and i thought that that was really clever i thought that that was a super well thought out way to not only um get a sponsorship from the sponsor but to craft stories to where the entire episode it's weaved into uh, about that so i think that that's just food for thought for people who are out there podcasting so yeah i think that's really a great point john but obviously it's a lot of work as well isn't it john a lot of, well a lot of pre-planning to some extent isn't it yeah definitely it's it takes some thought to to kind of put these things together but you know when when is that can, something that you could link yeah. with me john <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'm only joking, folks. I do like English humour. Uh, um, I think there's been a great discussion on the sto on the news stories and that, folks. And we're going to go for our break, and we're going to be back. We'll be discussing how to select plugins, um, the resources. How do you make a judgment call? What plugin um, you should use? Because there's loads of them out there. Um, and sometimes it can be difficult making the right choice. So we'll be back in a minute, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, 
updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back, folks. Um, it's been a great discussion. Got a panel of ladies out, a normal panel of ladies. It's always great to see them. And um, and my co-host, obviously, John. And um, we're going to talk about plugins. So who would like to start off with this? Silence. Thank you. <clears throat> have, to, have to hit the unmute button. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think... There's kind of the way we are likely to choose plugins and the way, um, you know, and, and how to approach it if you are not somebody who's been uh, immersed in the WordPress community for the past decade and, you know, knows personally, uh, or at least by reputation, a lot of plugin developers. And, and so because, you know, who built it, it, it is an important consideration. Uh, in choosing a plugin, but if you're fairly new to WordPress or you're not, you know, somebody who spends all of your time, like, you know, following people's WordPress Twitter feeds and reading the WordPress news and, and that kind of stuff, then you're probably not going to know very much about uh, the developer uh, of a particular plugin. And that's not going to be a criteria that's easier for you to use. Um, so, <clears throat> You know, we need to think about uh, what can we recommend to people who aren't necessarily very experienced. I mean, you know, at, at this point, for a lot of things, I've tried a number of plugins for something. I have one that I usually use for it, and I may or may not need to, you know, to, to look beyond that. And that's part of why you, you know, hire a consultant for your site is so that you don't have to spend all of the hours testing all of the things and, and beating your head against the wall. Um, so, uh, you know, I think some of the guidelines are things that, you know, that the plugin directory is pretty good at showing you, you know, how many active installs are there? Um, what kind of, you know, ratings has it gotten? Uh, how many, you know, check the support. How many questions, support questions have been answered recently? Is this being actively supported because you know you know that it's it's important that if you need to go you know if you need to get help with something somebody is going to be there to help you um, so those are those are all things you know to to look for uh, reviews that are not part of the uh, part of the plugin repo you know just google the name of the the, the plugin and see what people have written about it and can you find and an in-depth review because you know some plugin descriptions are pretty good they have a lot of screenshots and maybe have a support website with with videos and tutorials and, and some plugins may actually be quite useful plugins but there's not a lot of description or screenshots and it's, it's kind of hard to tell uh, a lot about is this going to be the you know is this going to do the thing that you uh, that you need it to do and and i you know i sometimes write about plugins it's more often you know a tutorial about how to, to do something with one or but i sometimes write about plugins and i have people who come back to me for things that i wrote years ago because they think that i might know the answer to a question that they have where they can't like find it in the documentation or in the the, the support forum for the for for the plugin and you know part of me is like why are you asking me this but then i actually like go and check and it's like oh well that's not in the documentation so maybe that's why they're asking and you know it it takes me five minutes to go and you know take a screenshot and and, and answer yes you can do that or uh, something like that so it's you know, it, it really makes me aware of how difficult it can be and the fact that there are so many plugins and that for any task that you want to perform, there are going to be dozens of, of plugins that come up makes it harder. Yeah, I think that's great stuff. Um, what about you, Jackie? I was thinking one of the factors is, you know, you, you, you 
if you're building a site or you're doing it yourself, you're going to probably be trying out quite a few maybe different plugins. So it's better to have a staging site of some kind. Would you agree with that? Oh, yes. If you're, you know, if you're going to be building something, uh, working on a staging site or a local development site where you can test out plugins is critical. One of the factors that, that I look at when I'm deciding on plugins is how critical is this functionality going to be for the site? That's number one. So if it's extremely critical, I'm more likely maybe to go with a paid plugin that has that I know has active yeah. support and has a growing community and those types of things. Like 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 just for example, like an e-commerce, you know, capability. I'm not going to be as comfortable going with some free version because I'm going to be more concerned about is the support going to be there later. And it's a critical component of the site. If it's something like how do you add a widget class to a widget, um, you know, I'm reviewing those and I'm thinking, okay, if I have to adopt the plugin myself and, you know, continue to take care of it, it's something I can do. And I think when you're looking at those things, that's a good question. And some people may not know the answer to that. They may not really understand what's more critical for their site and which is more decorative or more just um, simple functionality that you could manage yourself. Um, for me, I tend to look at the code in plugins, especially the really critical ones. I like to read the reviews and um, and realize too on the reviews, you can easily see one that looks terrible, right? It's got three reviews and one is like a one star and the other two are four and five stars and it makes it look really bad, but you have to read the actual comments in there because one may just be a one-off that really isn't doesn't have anything to do with um, it the fact that there is an issue with the plug. Like I've seen ones for Genesis where somebody will give them a one star because you can't use it if you don't have Genesis. Well, that's not a reason to rate it or give it a one star. And, you know, I, I would delete those if, if I had the ability to, but you can't. So you just have to, you have to kind of review that and take a look at it. So factors for me are, you know, is the plugin critical? If it is, I'm more likely to use a paid plugin. So I'm, uh, that's something that's definitely on my radar. And if it's a simple plugin, um, how often is it updated is another thing. So, I mean, I've seen some plugins that are three, four, five years old. And you have to think about, okay, what's the functionality you're getting out of there? And is there going to be a likelihood that there's going to be a conflict later with that? If it's doing something with images, if it's doing something with things that you know are changing in core as we move along, then that's likely going to be a plugin that you want to avoid. So, seeing if it's updated on a regular basis, seeing if you've got good support, like like Sally had some really great points, you know, about, you know, uh, our support questions being answered, things like that, and um, understanding what the functionality of it is. And have a playground. So go try out a couple of them and see which ones you like, um, which ones you don't. And, you know, we all have favorites that we that we use every day and we work with, and it's because we've tried them out and we've used them and they work for us. So uh, those are... Those are some good things. A good example is the Modern Tribe, I think it's Modern Tribe, has the image widget, right? So that's been out for a while and it's got some nice functionality. And I recently used it on a, on a thing where I'm using the WP Featherlight plugin to open up a video in a light box. And so that has some nice functionality. Core just recently gave you an image, a way to add an image, but it doesn't have that functionality that I needed to add um, the the link for the video and some other things to have to make it all work. So for me, in that case, the image widget is still going to be the one I'm going to use, even though there's one available in core. So that's my feedback on that. Yeah, made some great points. And I just want to, if you're listening to this, folks, and you're wondering, you know, what do you mean uh, local environment or staging environment? Well, um, in previous episodes, there's some... Um, great software that you can run on a Mac and a PC that allow you to um, set up a WordPress website and you can test all these plugins. And then um, you, you, depending on your hosting provider or a lot of them will allow you to set, have a staging site or or you can set up uh, a subdomain and um, have a, a site that is a duplicate of your main site and you can try out these things because it's just not really even like it's linked to what we were saying last week even if you remove the plugin a lot of these plugins leave um tables in your database and it's just best not 
to have all this dead wood. Um, I was going to ask John um, before I go to Kim. Um, so we've been talking about the um, WordPress um, depository for plugins, but how do you deal like, you know, we've all had to do it. Um, we've all had to go like to theme forest and maybe use a commercial plugin then it's a little bit not so clear about how it's updated and that. Got any insights about that, John? You're moot, John. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I always look at when I'm choosing a plugin. I mean, and if, if you've been working with WordPress or, or whatever system you're working with, uh, for a while, you kind of have a toolbox of things that you can rely on, things like Gravity Forms. Um, you know that that's going to work. You know that there's going to be extensions that you can use. Uh, but it, say you come into like a trickier problem or something that you're not as familiar with, you know, how do you figure out uh, what to use? Part of it is experimentation. So I, I think in areas where you're not as familiar you need to, to have uh, an adequate budget to where you can try different solutions. And it isn't dependent on you getting the right plugin the very first time because it might not, you know, something might not work out. There might be a conflict or it might not work the way that you expect it to. So that's step one. But uh, as you mentioned, say if you're buying a commercial uh, plugin, whether it's from a marketplace or whether it's from their own website, you're really going to want to see. Um, you know, what's in their change log? That's one of the things that I look at is are they actively updating it? As Sally mentioned, um, what kind of notes are they putting in there? Um, are they, when they make changes, are they being detailed to where you can kind of judge this? Are, are these uh, people who are doing a good development work? What do other people say about it? You know, um, what sort of reviews are people uh, leaving about it? Are people finding their problem is solved? If so, then that's a candidate uh, for something that I want to try. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it is experimentation. A lot of it is, is knowing what you can rely on. And then um, just, you know, trying different things, uh, using your own common sense and logic um, and then and finding what works together because I mean I, I think that's a lot of WordPress is, is we really much re rely on plugins and the modularity that it gives us being able to chain together different things uh, to make things work but you know the more moving parts that you have in a site the more potential there is that one of those things is going to cause a conflict with something else so um, yeah definitely uh, just leave room for experimentation and do a lot of research uh, before you just buy 50 plugins so yeah i think that's great advice folks um just a couple little things before i go to kim is that um like if it's a commercial plugin and it's from a shop or from a developer that you haven't used before but it looks like it's the right key functionality you're looking for send them a pre-sales question you know think of a question and i i know that a lot of developers are going to wince when i say this because but um you are in business guys and ladies um so sell, send a pre-sales question and see how you know what the response is if if it takes six days before you get a response or you never get a response this is before you even bought it. So imagine what the ongoing support's going to be like. It's not going to be that great, is it? Um, so uh, this is a little little tip. And the other thing is um, a bit like what um, John was saying. Um, you know, this has been an ongoing debate. As you know, people say it's not how many plugins that you install; it's the actual quality of the plugin. I take a, a, a more middle road. Yes, um, the quality of the plugins um, is probably uh, a determinant on if you're going to get any conflict. But on the other hand, the more plugins you have, inevitably, oh, somebody else wants Sally, uh, um, and um, uh, inevitably, um, it could lead to conflict. So. Do 
I would take a middle road and link to what John and um, Jackie have said. Got any thoughts, Kim, about this? Mine are a little different in that I agree with what every single person here said. My target audience, though, being do-it-yourselfers and beginners, can't look at the code. Yeah. It, I mean, they can look at it. It means nothing to them. So what, what I approach it with, with them is, first of all, they're pretty much, while they're in my class, forbidden to install anything I don't tell them to install. Um, You're forbidden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, but part of mine is teaching them who those people are. Uh, Sally, like you said, it's hard for them to know who to follow and who to listen to. So part of mine is teaching them to come and listen to shows like this when we talk about membership sites, when we talk about, you know, who Pippin Williamson is and when he writes a review, you want to listen and then follow some of us and uh, uh, search it that way. You know, those of us who are crash test dummies for this stuff and write about it, that's a good starting place for them to know who to trust. Yeah, I think, I think you know, there are kind of... Um, I think you do need to have to educate your little, yourself a little bit. Um, are there any kind of resources that you think might be useful for this? Let's start with Sally. Any kind of resources come to mind that might educate people a bit more about plugins and about the process of selecting them and where you should go to find some decent plugins? Gosh, I probably have a whole collection of bookmarks, but I'd yeah. have to look at them for the show, yeah. show notes. Um, you know, I know we've done meetups on this occasionally where people have, have done yeah, that's presentations what I was asking, about, you know, I like thought, yeah. how to, how to, you know, how to choose a plugin and sort of walk people through some of those steps of like, well, this is the plugin repository and this is where you look at the, because yeah. um, it's obvious to us, isn't it? But it's not. Right, it's not you know, obvious this, to other people, is it? The, right, this is you know, this is this is how you check the the support questions. This is how you and um, hey, you know, it's and and also just you know, remember that if you do have a local meetup group or or access to oh yes, you know, people who have experience with WordPress, ask them. Yeah. You know, our our meetup has a uh, has a discussion list, and and people put questions out like that all the time you know i want to do such and such you know what do you recommend yeah that's great that's a great point sally thanks for that you know there's almost any major city in america there's probably going to be a, a wordpress meetup um sally runs a really good one uh, um and um you know john is part of the sacramento meetup group aren't you john and um there's normally one um, in every major city and they're just a great resource but also remember you know it's a difficult one folks and um, like if you go there and say what's the best form um, building plugin you know that's a that's a difficult question to answer with, with any balance because the fact is you're spoiled you're spoiled for choice you know there there's a lot of good form building um you know, there's probably um at least a half a dozen i could recommend without much worry um that can build great forms they they have different functionality and they have different strong and strengths and weaknesses but they could all do the job um, what do you think about that jackie well i think if you if you know what it is that you, what functionality you're looking for. Even if you're a novice, I mean, you, you, you're you looking for a plugin because you needed to do something, right? So if you know that, um, if you're a member of maybe a Facebook group or something along these lines, if you're, if you're doing it yourself and you're, you're experimenting, you're probably going to have access or want to join some group where there's like-minded people. So that's a great place, like a Slack channel um, or a Facebook group would be a great place to ask a question if somebody's yeah. used a plugin. Um, or if anybody can recommend a plugin, and but know what it is you're asking. So sit down, you know, take a couple of seconds, write down the requirements that you need. I need a plugin to, like I was saying earlier, to add a class to widgets, right? Okay, something simple like that, and then you you have a, a way to describe it. Or I need something that will let me do some new things with a, an image um, on a on a page or something along that line. Or I want to add a subtitle to 
WordPress, right? So that's another good little, you can get a little plugin that will let you add a subtitle and then how is that displayed? And you'll need to know about your theme, what theme you're using and things like that. So gather all that information together and then just reach out and ask some people in your community who could recommend something. I think that's a, another great point, Jackie. Um, like what I was previous saying, folks, if you, like Jack, Jackie just said, if you can be specific about, like, let's take form as an example. If there's some specific functionality that you specifically need connected to some forms on your website, um, and then you can go and either to a Facebook group or go to your local meetup and you got that requirement, you're going to get a much more specific reply, aren't you? The um, So having some specific requirements will help enormously. I'm going to wrap this up and ask the panel um, to tell you how you can learn more about them. And then we'll probably go on afterwards with some bonus content, which you'll find on about five, ten minutes, which you'll find the whole of this episode on YouTube and on the WP Tonic website. Um, so let's, I'm going to ask the um, panel how people can get hold of them. And I'm going to start with Sally. How can people get hold of you? You can find me at WPFangirl.com. I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and the meetup is EastBayWP.com. That's great. How can people get hold of you, Kim? You can find me on Twitter at Kim Schivler. You can find me on the web at either whitegloveWebTraining.com, HowToBuildAnOnlineCourse.com, or now KimShivler.com. Oh, great. Um, Jackie, how can people get hold of you? You can find me at JackieDelia.com, on Twitter at JDelia, and over at Rethink.fm. That's great. And John, how can people get hold of you? They can find me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com, or follow me on Twitter, Lockdown underscore. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search Lockdown Design. How do people get a hold of you, Jonathan? Oh, thanks, John. That's really simple, folks. Maybe on Twitter, at Jonathan Denwood. Go to the WP Facebook page. You'll be able to see all those videos. The YouTube channel, there's over, I think it's got over 200 episodes now on the channel. It's got some great content on there. Or you could email me, folks, at Jonathan at wp tonic dot com and i'll get back to you so we're going to end the show folks we're going to go for our bonus content and we'll see you next week thanks for listening to wp tonic the podcast that gives you a spoonful of wordpress medicine twice a week